I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Welcome to another lockdown edition of Space Boffins. We're in partnership with the Naked Scientists and I'm Richard Hollingham. And I'm Sue Nelson. This time we'll look ahead to the first crude launch of the Dragon spacecraft. That almost sounded like it was a rude launch, like a crude launch, but no, it's a crude launch. We'll also look at the UK space industry's response to the COVID-19 pandemic and their space art. And uh, the podcast has taken a surprising turn with uh, more music and a a rather lovely song about Hubble from the Britpop era. More on that later. Well, our guest on the lockdown line is Sarah Crudder, space reporter, author of The Space Race, Journey to the Moon and Beyond, and TV presenter, and an expert on the rise of the private space companies. She's been a a good guest on Space Boffins in the past, and it's been a long time coming, but we're in the final build-up, aren't we, to the first crude launch of SpaceX's Dragon. How much of a big deal is this for SpaceX? Well, not just for SpaceX, I guess for the whole space industry as a whole, because this is, you know, since uh, July 2011, um, US astronauts, with the exception of uh, a couple of test flights with Virgin Galactic, haven't actually been launching to space from US soil. We've been relying on the Russians, on the Soyuz rocket to get humans to space. So not only does this um, represent a huge moment for the United States in, in terms of actually being able to return to space from US soil, but it, it represents a new era, really, in space exploration and a new way of doing things. We're, we're truly entering into this um, entrepreneurial space age, as I like to call it. And you've got um, different types of organisations, businesses, companies um, looking at changing the ways we do space. So it's a it's a next step in the way that we explore. And it's just a, a hugely exciting moment to see um, another way of humans being able to access space because we take it for granted you know, that, that space is accessible, but actually we, you know, the space age is still in its infancy. So this is a, a hugely exciting moment. I, I love the way Sue introduced you by saying you've been a great guest on the Space Boffins before. So no pressure. <laughs> no pressure, Sarah. <laughs> now, before we talk about this historic flight, uh, here's a, a two-minute montage of previous US maiden flights. And for bonus points, can you name all the astronauts? Stand by to resume the count, please. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. Ignition. 
Liftoff. All right, uh, liftoff, and the clock has started. Yes, sir, reading you loud and clear. This is Freedom 7. The fuel is go 1.2 G. Cabin at 14 PSI. Oxygen is go. Freedom 7 is still go. The trajectory is A-OK. On the periscope, what a beautiful view. This is Germany Control. Everything in a go condition. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. Ignition. And we have a liftoff. We have a liftoff at 24 minutes after the hour. Commit liftoff. We have liftoff. This is launch control. We have cleared the tower. Roger, tower clear. 12 seconds out and the roll program has commenced. Apollo 7 Houston, uh, how close are you now? We're close to about, uh, oh, about 70 feet. It's tumbling rather wildly, so we're trying to stay away from it. Uh, Roger, I understand. Seven, six, five, four. We've gone for main engine start. We have main engine start. The shuttle has cleared the tower. Columbia, if you look down, uh, you'll uh, see uh, Cape Kennedy, perhaps. There's tremendous launch from there yesterday, which you may not have seen. Oh, we saw it. Well, let's see. We're coming over. Yeah, oh, there we go. I got the runway and the VAD inside. Very good. It's exactly 24 hours ago. You've been there for one day now. Five, four, three, touchdown. Welcome home, Skipper. Welcome home, Columbia. Beautiful, beautiful. The first flights of Mercury, Gemini, Apollo, and the Space Shuttle. Can you name the astronauts? Alan Shepard. Uh, Gemini was yeah. Gus Grissom and John Young. Yeah. The space shuttle was um, Bob Critton and John Young. Um, Apollo 7. Oh, see, I'm assuming you're not including Apollo 1 because they died. So Apollo 7. No, is this Apollo 7? Don Isley. Yeah, very good. Because, yeah, he's the one that no one's heard of. Very good. I knew the Bob Crippen and and John Young because we did that for the space And the remainder of Apollo 7? um, Wally Sherrard. And yeah. Walt Cunningham. Walt Cunningham, very oh, good. Fabulous. Yeah, exactly right. So Alan Shepard, Alan Shepard, Gus Grissom, John Young, Wally Shearer, Walt Cunningham, <laughs> Don Eisel, and uh, John Young again, which is extraordinary, and Bob Crippen with uh, the space shuttle. Well, the crew of the first Dragon will be Bob Benkin and Doug Hurley. Um, Sarah, how different is Dragon to previous spacecraft? Because if you go by the crew, they're sort of tried and tested. You know, these are two ex-military men, test pilots, some shuttle experienced, um, but they're, you know, they're going to be flying something completely new. Well, yeah. And I I think um, what's interesting is we've kind of reverted to the more traditional type of spacecraft. So obviously, um, Crew Dragon benefits a lot from modern technology, modern materials. Um, It carries a lot more crew than the the Apollo space capsule or the Gemini capsules, the Soyuz or the uh, Mercury capsules. But it it's completely different to the space shuttle. The space shuttle um, was hugely complex um, and 
it was it was expensive to run in the end. It was costly. We achieved a lot because of the space shuttle, most notably probably getting Hubble to space and then launching other planetary missions for NASA. But um, it's almost a return to an old way of doing space, but with a modern twist. And that modern twist includes um, touch screens, doesn't it? This modern twist. Yeah, yeah, touch screens and um, loads of new material science and and an element of reusability. So they're going to actually try and land the first stage after this launch. And the idea is that eventually uh, the whole Falcon 9 rocket will, of course, be reusable. So we're kind of blending everything we've learned over the last five decades of human spaceflight, or more than five decades of human spaceflight, to take this next next step forward in in terms of space exploration. And the hope is actually that... um, this will enable access uh, to enable humans to go further, you know, to the moon. But this time it's not a case of flags and footprints because so often people are like, well, we haven't done much. Why haven't we been back to the moon since 1972? But the reality is we've been learning how to live and work in orbit and we've been learning how to use space to benefit all of us here on Earth. And now what Crew Dragon represents is not just a a new way of travelling to space, but it's that next step on on hopefully seeing humans return to the moon um, be that either a crude human base in cis-lunar orbit or actually on the surface of the moon and to stay there for longer. So we're slowly edging away from Earth, edging away from our own planet. And we're we're doing it um, by learning how to survive where we are instead of just going there, going for a week, going for a few days, like we saw with the initial flurry of space activity in the 1960s. So it's it's just a... I keep using the word exciting, but it is a hugely exciting and a hugely... Um, important moment that all of us are able to witness even if we can't be there in person in terms of timing it's quite interesting because we they don't know yet we don't know yet they the astronauts don't know yet whether they will be in orbit for one month or four months i mean that's quite astonishing isn't it not quite knowing how long you're going on your mission for well it is interesting and i know there are talks of negotiations um to have another um seat for a u.s astronaut on the the soyuz later this year but um yeah it's 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 interesting at the moment they don't know how long they're going to be spending on the international space station but these are veteran astronauts these are as you mentioned so they're, they're former military they're test pilots they they used to you know, it's not like you or I going on holiday, for example. They, they're used to um, uh, dedicating themselves to the mission and doing what's best for the mission. So it's, it's just a, an interesting time for spaceflight, given the situation on Earth. But I think what's most poignant about this launch is it, it's giving us hope when, obviously, I'm sure you would want to be there, I want to be there, so many people listening to this would want to be there. But it, it gives us something hope with all that's wrong in the world right now. Oh, there's suddenly an excitement, something positive that humanity is doing. You mentioned the astronauts. I watched the press conference uh, they did. It was about an hour long. It was quite tedious, I think it's fair to say. Um, They are absolutely straight down the line military test pilot types, aren't they? There wasn't much personality showing uh, for those two astronauts, but I'm sure they know exactly what they're doing. Who would you want flying your spacecraft? That's what I always say. It's not not about... um, character or your ability to communicate in interviews it's about being the best of the best at your job and i think um that i would if i was going to get on a spacecraft i would like them to be commanders of the spacecraft yeah well i I quite like the fact that i think it was doug hurley his calls call sign i think it was him was is chunky one of them has got a call sign of chunky which i thought you know i've been watching re-watching um the whole of battlestar galactica during lockdown and i all their call signs are amazing, like Apollo, Starbuck, Halo. And I just think, chunky. 
it's it's not flattering, is it? I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe who knows? Um, but it has given me a renewed respect for astronauts in terms of isolation, because you think it would be easy, but actually psychologically, it is quite an effort to remain up each day and and you realize why an astronaut's time is so highly scheduled because if you were just in the space station you'd think in theory will it be amazing i'd just look out of the window all the time but actually that's quite a tough job to be 6 months in effectively you know on a large camper van okay the view is great but it's what we're sort of all having to go through through now. Yeah, I agree. You know, the way I've been um, trying to put a positive spin on lockdown, because all of us, no matter where you're from or what you're doing, all of us have got disappointments at the moment. But the the positive spin I've had, you know, with that almost like childlike enthusiasm of always wanting to be an astronaut is that I'm pretending this is a space mission um, as much as possible. So (laughs) you have to, you have to, you can learn a lot from astronauts. I know we saw um, earlier on in the lockdown interviews from astronauts talking about how they cope with isolation and with lockdown, because it's, it's tough uh, and it's you know psychologically tough and i think that there's an important thing there the you know astronauts exercise every day obviously we know they do that for their physical health on board the station but there's also a psychological benefit for that um the fact they have everything timed down to the minute again psychological benefits to that so it's a yeah we can we can learn a lot from our astronauts about how we deal with problems on earth Absolutely. And and I felt for um, like the people in Italy during lockdown, they had 40 days, but were not allowed to go outside either to exercise. Whereas at least in the UK, we had our one hour a day. And you're right, that psychological benefit of doing some exercise and feeling fresh air, which obviously the astronauts don't get, they get the exercise, but not the fresh air. It's really quite key. Now, you know, we... I know we're talking about Dragon, but Starliner, Boeing's Starliner, that failed to dock with the space station in December. How is how is the, the Dragon's rival doing? Because everything's been stepped back, hasn't it, in terms of a few years, in terms of what the original plans were? Yeah, I mean, what I would say is that failure is not a bad thing in space exploration. There's a, there's a huge amount that can go wrong. And basically what we're doing is something completely new. Yes, we have been launching to people to space for a long time now but it's still new fewer than 600 of us have actually left earth and traveled to space so yes there have been setbacks and there are going to inevitably be setbacks um continuing with what's happening and, and no one can predict the future no one would have imagined what this like this year would have been like um last year i mean when i was growing up i thought 2020 would be the year humans walked on mars um little did i know it would be the year we're all in lockdown but um there are setbacks but we shouldn't see that as a negative thing. This is, um, you know, just as in space, just as in life, failure um, doesn't mean you failed. And I think it's really important as we look towards this um, new commercial space era, era that we've got to embrace failure. And I think that's something the US is very good at because sometimes you do fail, but that doesn't make you a failure. It just means you've learned how to not do something. So um, it's not going to be a perfect step. We, we know space exploration is risky. We know it's complicated. We know... The, you know the space series in its infancy but we will get there eventually maybe there are delays there's huge space projects at the moment 
where there are delays, but it doesn't mean they won't happen eventually. Maybe we just got the timing wrong. Sarah Crudders, thank you very much indeed. And uh, we're looking forward. You've got another, a new book out um, in a couple of months, haven't you? Yeah, that's right. Um, so funny enough, I went into lockdown to write this book and I've never, never left lockdown. Um, so it's called Look Up Our Story with the Stars and it's out with HQ HarperCollins in September. Brilliant. We'll look forward to that. Sarah Crudders, thank you very much indeed. Thank you for having me. In the last regular episode of Space Boffins, we featured two pieces of music, including the rather excellent song by Private Numbers from the Hubble launch. Well, Ed Ashcroft has been in touch. And in the Britpop era of the late 90s, he was in a London-based band called Atom Bomb Yoga. Which is just just the best title. I, I I must admit I've never heard of them, but no. now I want to hear yeah, of them with exactly. a name like that. Exactly, they had an album out, and he wrote and sang a song called Hubble, uh, and he emailed it to me, which we'll play in full at the end of the podcast. And I talked to him about the band, the song, and why he decided to send it to us. What really piqued my interest and really sort of suddenly made me sort of sit up was when I read about the problems that were happening with Hubble. Did they call it a spherical aberration? It was a bizarre sort of term. And then I looked into it and went, oh my God, it's about a sort of man-made sort of fallibility. journey of it as a gatherer of incredible information was thwarted by quite a small thing and that fascinated me so thus I started to write this song about what sounded quite human for me because I think Hubble does have a sort of human quality. And how was it received as, as a song? We got really lovely response from the sort of music community. Quite a lot of airplay across the country. I think it was against Wonderwall. So, you know, it was a sort of really funny, sort of, you know, uh, hearing, hearing Hubble and then, and then someone going, I know, it's Wonderwall. And it was like, oh my God, you know, similar sort of period. Hello, I'm Hubble. The bass player is a wonderful, wonderful man called Graham Holdaway, and he ran a brilliant music company called the Beat Factory. Damon Alburn started his career there, along with Fundamental and the Transglobal Underground, and various sort of wonderful, wonderful artists. And Graham very sadly died quite recently, and I was asked by his, his wonderful wife to sing Hubble at his funeral. And at the funeral, I got approached by somebody who said, well, we really love your song. Have, have you sent it to Chris Hadfield, uh, the astronaut? And I sort of was slightly sort of like, oh, I haven't even thought about it. But I did, because I thought, well, you know. And I got this lovely message saying, thank you so much for sharing. It basically is, but I've been thinking, well, you know, we should be sharing these things, these things of, of, of our past. They're, they're special and they're part of our history. So that's I thought I'd send it to you. And God, 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 God. 
Ed Ashcroft of uh, Atom Bomb Yoga. That was lovely. Yeah. What a nice guy. And the song was called Hubble. You can hear we're going to play the full song at the end of the podcast. Um, thanks so much to, to Ed. Yeah, he's now, he's now a head you, teacher. Oh, um, wow. uh, thanks so much for, for getting, in, getting in touch. It's, it's a great song, actually. Yeah. I've been listening to it quite a few times. It's got a lot going on in there. But it's so evocative. That sound, it's so Britpop, it's isn't very, it? Uh, it's very, very so 90s. 1997. What an amazing history you've got and you're right that's a lovely thing to share because it's amazing what's in people's past and history and and we're all multitudes as a famous <laughs> science book would go that's yeah that's absolutely wonderful so if you have a space song jingle or music uh, you want to share with us uh, that we won't have any messy copyright issues with uh, do please uh, get in touch uh, this is space boffins we're in partnership with the naked scientists Still to come, we chat to, well, I chat to astronaut Nicole Stott about space art. You can find us on the usual social media, what's it? Uh, do get in touch. And you can also email us, info at boffinmedia.co.uk. And do check out as well. We, we've actually, this is the first time, we're, we're normally, you know, we're monthly. It's the first time we did an extra special edition featuring the great late Al Warden. So please do listen to that. That was in between last month's and this one. Mystery sound time now. I love this. Doesn't that sound spacey? Oh, it's it's Doctor Who, definitely. But it's actually a sonification of the European Space Agency's Bepi Colombo spacecraft passing Earth in April as part of its long journey to Mercury. Yeah, it's actually the accelerometer. I think. And uh, one of the scientists involved, you can find the full thing on the European Space Agency website, one of the scientists involved said it sounded like if you were listening to a, the rails of a train approaching. I mean, hopefully you wouldn't have your ear Sorry, to the rail. No. I, there's no way I well, would think that. <laughs> Absolutely no See, way. Sometimes you get that sort of, if you're at a station, you can hear the, the rails if a fast train's coming. Have you been drinking? No, that's what, the, that's what he said. I thought that's, uh-huh. that's quite good. quite like that bit as well. No, no. Oh no, I think it's that's to me that's in space and it's yeah, that's definitely movie soundtrack. Well, over the last few days, I've been talking remotely to mission controllers at the European Space Operations Centre uh, for an ESA film that I'm making. And what's interesting, and the reason we play that Bebe Colombo clip, is that despite the pandemic, most of them are working from home, but most operations are continuing. And that's true in the US and here in the UK. And Justin Byrne is head of Airbus's Earth Observation and Science programmes in the UK. We have commercial customers that want their telecom spacecraft. I mean, there's a big demand on telecommunications at the moment. Obviously, the climate change missions are replacing or supplementing new missions. So they're already booked. They've already got their launch slots filled and the launch manifest is completely packed for the next few years. We have Mars missions. that you know Mars is only close to us every two years, so they have to be sequenced in to be, have a launch date in, in alignment with the planets. And we also have test facilities all over Europe for spacecraft testing that are full. So if we don't keep these programs moving and we will miss, miss our test slots, we miss our launch slots and we disappoint customers who need them. And obviously climate change is vitally important that we monitor that throughout the crisis and we have to keep going. And you've also switched in Portsmouth, I think, to, to manufacturing PPE equipment. 
Yeah, so it was actually a combined effort by Stevenage and Portsmouth. So the Stevenage team did some of the design work. We did the 3D printing of effectively face shields. We looked at how could we produce those with our 3D printing machines and looked at our manufacturing team that's already on site doing other work. How could we assemble some of those face shields on site? Um, so we got the design correct, but then obviously the, the volume wasn't enough. So we then worked with SMEs in the Portsmouth area to look at injection moulding those shields. So we now have the feasibility to build up to 40,000 of those shields and supply them to the NHS. It makes us feel that we're, we're part of the helping to fight this challenge. Justin Byrne from Airbus. Well, meanwhile, the UK Space Agency, supporters of the Space Boffins podcast, has launched a £2.6 million fund in partnership with ESA to develop space technology and services in response to the coronavirus. And I've been chatting to Emily Gravestock, Head of Applications Strategy at the agency, about apps, drones and the role of space tech during a pandemic. I think the COVID pandemic has definitely indicated how reliant we are on space technology, particularly in the healthcare sector, but also in the daily government briefings. They're using Google Maps to indicate car transportation, for example, and all of the other facilities that they are using uh, around prediction methods and monitoring uh, of this pandemic. A lot of them are utilising space data and information. So this pandemic really has brought home to me and to, I think, other people in the public who weren't so aware how much we are using space data all the time. And and the other thing that's interesting, I think, is that space hasn't stopped. You know, there are still controlling missions. The satellites are still producing data. In fact, we've still got astronauts flying to the International Space Station. The majority of the work that is going on in the sector is carrying on, and that's something I think we should be really proud of. It is possible to do an awful lot of the work on building services and applications from space data from home, on laptops, on computers, on your phone, and make them ready. And you can work remotely working with colleagues to, to develop these new applications. And we're seeing some real exciting things coming out where people have been forced to be innovative. People from the ESA BIC uh, coming up with ways of modelling when supermarkets and other areas are going to be quietest for people to visit during the pandemic and things. New ideas that have really come to the fore and been developed very fast. Uh, and now you mentioned about the, the supermarkets there. That, that's an app that's been developed. And it so how does that use how how can you apply space technology to supermarket queues they can see how many people are checking into the supermarket. They can look at how, what the data is in terms of uh, the amount of vehicles and people that are attending that supermarket at any one time and model when it is quieter or busier to visit, both in real time and based on the historic data that is present, which is giving a pretty good indication of what these areas that people do need to visit for their essential travel is looking like right now, based on both that real-time and historic information. None of this information is going to be absolutely perfect because nobody, not everybody checks in, for example, or not everybody has their phone with them and things like that. But actually, anything is better than nothing at this point, and it's doing a really good service for people. And... We've also seen the the application of of drone technology, but this is drone technology using satellite communications in mountainous areas. So, I mean, it's really we've seen demos before of, of of drones, and normally they're flat areas around Cambridgeshire using often you know four G signals. But here you you're absolutely using drones and satellite technology to deliver. 
One of the projects was looking at the drone delivery of defibrillators in North Wales, and that actually delivered to a beach in North Wales accurately and on time, which was a really exciting thing to see. They did that in regulated airspace, so it was segregated so that it was only the drones flying in that airspace. So there's another leap there to then do that in mixed-use airspace. And the other development that was done under that programme was doing paediatric and fetal ultrasounds in the community using satellite communications and data transfer, bonded data transfer so it was secure, from the community uh, to the hospital. What was astonishing about that is that the data that was being received from the community was often better than the ultrasound data being received in the next room by the person who was reading the scans. And they have then taken that uh, activity they've done in the community with the ultrasounds and are now doing COVID testing in the community using the same mechanisms in real time. So it's really exciting again to see how something that we have worked on for one purpose is now being diverged to support this pandemic, but also that the original purpose will be now used uh, in the years, years to come, particularly by the Welsh government, but hopefully by others as well. Is this in a way leading to an acceleration of technologies that that perhaps were under development anyway, because there's a real need now. I think this really is an opportunity for these technologies. If they prove that they can deliver what they say they can and do it safely and reliably and securely in terms of personal data, then I think this really is an opportunity for technologies to have that kickstart and that impetus to make technologies more mainstream. You see the number of GP appointments that are taking place by remote contact now. Not all of those will continue to be remote, but some will. And in cases where people live an awful long way from major healthcare centres, the ability to use remote conferencing to have those consultations with clinicians, for example, sometimes using terrestrial communications, sometimes using satellite communications, is actually really an important step forward for particularly remote communities, but also for those people who find it difficult to get to the medical centre, even if they do live locally, for whatever reason. Emily Gravestock from the UK Space Agency. And if you run a space business, that funding round for proposals is still open and details are on the UK Space Agency website. Uh, I do want to mention something else with Emily. Is um, She had a really good out-of-office. She's, she's homeschooling some kids at the moment, so she's, you know, having to juggle what a lot of us are trying to juggle, home and, home and work things. She says... Um, I can't necessarily get to your email at the moment, but um, if you send me a picture of cakes, I like cakes and I'll respond. So I sent her, I didn't say, we didn't have any cakes. I sent her a picture of biscuits and she responded. (laughs) Were they they my homemade They were your your homemade, no, the homemade cookies. The homemade cookies, yeah. 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 I must admit, I've I've enjoyed, I know everybody's sort of got their own thing. I've been fattening the curve, as they uh, say in the UK, one of the many people who who's sort of taken to baking in a big way. And I've been doing, I love cooking anyway, but I've been definitely making things I've not made before. Homemade ginger ginger biscuits, ginger nuts were, were one of them. Immensely easy and really, really nice, aren't yeah, they? I think they were a highlight so far. Yes. That and the homemade pesto. Homemade pesto. Yeah, that oh. was very good. Yeah, oh, my very goodness. Good. That's yeah. fantastic. Well, lockdown is a time to be many things, bored, creative, anxious, or all of the above. And if you've got kids at home, it's especially tough. But here's something they'll definitely enjoy doing, space art. 
During her extensive NASA career, Nicole Stott became the first astronaut to paint a watercolour of the view of the Earth from the International Space Station. And after retiring as an astronaut, she became an artist and a director of the Space for Art Foundation. Now, the foundation works with children around the world in schools, hospitals, refugee centres to encourage space-themed art and healing. And some of the kids' art even ends up on a spacesuit. And I got to see one of them when I was working with Nicole Stott recently, pre-lockdown, at the Kennedy Space Centre. We're standing here next to the Exploration Art Spacesuit. This is the fifth suit we've done with the Spacesuit Art Project, which is part of our Space for Art Foundation work, which in the simplest terms, I think, is space-themed art therapy programs for kids around the world. We started with one suit in Houston in one hospital with kids there. And with exploration, we now have representation of children from 45 different countries involved. And the suit is really beautiful. It's colorful. It's not what you would think of. You know, normally when we think of spacesuits, we think of these big white suits. And this is not a big white suit. It's every color you can imagine. And each of the little squares that make it up are uh, a child's painting. And I love it because it brings together, I don't know, it brings together the theme of space, which I think is very much something that children get and they understand that they can think about their future based on it and inspiration and they can understand that they're earthlings and their crew on Spaceship Earth. There's all these really wonderful things that come out of it that allows them to transcend this experience they're going through in the hospital or a refugee center or, you know, very rural school someplace on the planet. And I think it's a very inspirational piece of art. It allows these kids to take their individual piece and know that it's going to be part of something bigger. You know, they know that it's going to be part of this suit that's made from kids in countries all over the world. And one of the things I think that's super cool about it is that we've had the support of, you know, many wonderful people, but one organization in particular, ILC Dover Corporation, which is the same you know, spacesuit company that made the suits that our astronauts walked on the moon with and that we do spacewalks in space from the space station now with uh, have volunteered to quilt together this artwork to the same pattern as the covers of those suits. And they are stunning, and we are very thankful. It's a spacesuit, okay. but it's made up of different squares and rectangles. It kind of looks like a quilt, almost, of... Uh, the children's different artwork. Each square is painted by a different child or group of children in a different country. And I think one of the most beautiful things about it is that any one of these pieces of artwork is beautiful on its own. But somehow when you put it all together, it becomes this, I I don't know, it's just like a masterpiece almost. Like they were all meant to be together when, when in fact we didn't tell any kid what to paint on any square. Just gorgeous. I feel really fortunate. You know, I got to fly in space. But I look at that as this experience that I'm supposed to use now. You know, what's my mission now? Well, my mission now is to share this experience I had in space. I want people to know what we're doing in space, which is ultimately about improving life on Earth. When I flew in space, I had the chance to paint while I was there, which was, you know, something I enjoyed doing down on Earth. And it and it has turned into, you know, for me, a way to uniquely communicate the spaceflight experience. And then working with these kids on, you know, the spacesuit art project with what we're doing um, with other space-themed art projects within the Space for Art Foundation, 
I'm, I feel like I'm blessed to just bring, bringing it all together. And it's not just me, it's all the people involved. And when you have a company like ILC Dover Corporation, who absolutely gets that this is a meaningful thing for these kids, because they under, I mean, they understand themselves how the work that they've done, you know, sewing these suits together, the history that's come from um, in the work. I mean, this is this is fine. I would call it fine artisan craftsmanship that you know that the the seamstresses did for the Apollo suits, and that my friend Gary at ILC Dover did for this suit. And if you want to make a donation to this worthy cause or find out more details of where and how to send your children's space art to Nicole, then check out the spaceforartfoundation.org website. I'll also post some of the photographs of the spacesuit I got to see close up alongside uh, Nicole. I think I might even have one with all three of us in, but it's absolutely gorgeous. So thank you very much, Nicole. Uh, And you've been doing your own space art as well as baking biscuits. Yes. Oh yeah. I decided we've got this wall by our our patio that was sort of covered with... Sounds so middle class, doesn't it? It does, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And it was sort of covered with, well, it was covered with dirt and moss, wasn't it? Which is uh, probably less middle class. And um, I've decided to do a repaint it. And I didn't just want to repaint it. I decided I wanted it to be spacey, but to be a view of an alien landscape sort of during the day in the same way that we can, you can see the moon during the day. But I went a bit overboard. I've got two moons, a gas giant with rings, a ringed planet, another planet which our sun insists looks like Mustafar from Star Wars, and then I've got a very retro sort of futuristic but 1950s sci-fi style rocket launching from there it. There has been some discussion that you might have overthought it. Yeah. But it's really good. It, it is really I'll put up pictures. I'll yeah. put up pictures of that Yeah, do well. put up pictures. It's, yeah. it's very good. Uh, and that's the, um, the space book. Blah. Can't say it. Uh, and that's the... Space book. Blah, blah, And that's the space book. Uh, that's the Space Boffins podcast. Thanks to the UK Space Agency very much for their continuing support. Uh, lockdown isn't affecting us at all. <laughs> it's hysterical. Yeah, hysterical. Yeah. Uh, do get in touch on social media or email with your thoughts, ideas and music. Um, we've got photos, by the way, of Sarah as well. We're doing the Zoom. We, we've got them. We'll put them up as well. Yeah, and uh, both both sides of that. That whole conversation as well, yeah. Uh, Thanks again to Ed Ashcroft of Atom Bomb Yoga. And uh, he's very kindly let us use the whole song at the end of the podcast. So we'll leave you with that. From 1997, this is Hubble. Thanks for listening.
He's watching me.